We'll start with the set-aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live in your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, thank you for having grace and mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I must admit that we talk in AA how the human ego is never satisfied, right? If you get something, then you immediately want more. So uh, I was pretty anxious Sunday for those listening on the podcast. I had some people from Australia congratulate me on the win and this and that who listened to the site. But uh, it's 48 hours later, and all they're talking about is who's going to win next year and how they're going to repeat, and there's no joy in the moment. And so that's very symbolic of our society. But, you know, we have to be happy with what we have and uh, enjoy it. And so it's sad, those listening to podcasts, that we had a shooting in Kansas City today. I don't know any of the details, but you know, these things happen. Probably a resentment. Somebody got mad, somebody else had a gun fired him. <sighs> anyway, tonight we're on uh, page 78 in the big book, Into Action, and we've gotten to the point where we're on the ninth step. Now, there are people new here, they don't know much about the steps or the program, but uh, this, where we are now in the book, we've done quite a bit of work. We've identified those people that we've harmed and we want to make amends to them so that we can be free of fear of them. And so if you haven't harmed anybody, then you don't have to worry about this. But uh, when you do your four step, you see how many people you've harmed and then how you're going to make amends. And these are the instructions on how we really get right with the world. We lose our fear of people. And uh, we talked about how you go to people you hated or who were your enemies or uh, you had really negative feelings about, but you've changed those feelings because you said the prayers for them, you've forgiven them, and you've seen that they're just spiritually like you, and you want to repair the damage that you've done with your past. And this is how you get free of shame and guilt. Anybody have shame and guilt when they came in here? Well, if, you, if you're willing to make amends to someone and you understand that, you might not be able to. There are people I knew when I was 22, I'm 73 now, I'd like to make an amends to them, but I can't, it wouldn't do any good right at this moment, but I know that I would be willing to if I saw them. You can find almost anybody nowadays. When this book was written, it was 1939. And so now they're gonna talk about money, if you owe money to people. Anybody ever owe money to anybody? Anybody cheat anybody over money? It says, most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we are trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think or so or not. Now remember, in these days, there were small communities. Everybody knew who was doing what. There weren't a lot of secrets. Dr. Bob didn't want to go and tell anybody that he was an alcoholic. <laughs> and uh, when he went to the nurse, in the hospital to see if there were any alcoholics there that he and Bill W. could help, the nurse said to her, him, what about you? See, everybody knew. It doesn't matter. People are very happy when we come to AA. If people know you and they know you have a problem with 
addiction and you're going to get help, they admire you. Nobody will ever say negative things about somebody who's going to AA or trying to get help unless they have issues themselves, serious issues themselves. Telling them what we try to do, we make no bones about our drinking, they usually know it anyway. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. I wasn't really afraid if people in my practice, the patients knew I was an alcoholic, going to get help. I made no, I didn't announce that I was in AA. Some people knew, some people didn't. One of my nurses after a year or two asked me if I could help her husband and he's been sober now for, I don't know, 20 years. And so there's, you can help somebody if they know you're in AA. They may know somebody who needs help and they, and they can see by your example that you're changing. So people are afraid to say their whole name in an AA meeting. Somehow that got confused with your anonymity. Your anonymity should be at the level of radio, press, and film. I shouldn't go on TV and say, you know, I'm Michael Hurwitz, I'm an AA, I'm, I'm really something. You know, and then we get drunk the next day and they say, well, AA doesn't work. We don't speak for AA. It has no spokesman. But we don't want to be anonymous to each other because then how can we help each other? There were people who came to the meeting for years. We were down there and they say their name's Robert. I don't know their last name. I don't know how to get a hold of them. And so it's important, I think, that we say our whole name and we not be anonymous. And uh, how, how, would, how would somebody come to us to help if they don't know who we are? Now, in those days, they used to have their names and phone numbers, and everybody would sign up, and everybody would know who everybody was. It's AA's bigger now. People come and go. It's kind of a, you know, it's a potpourri of uh, things. So we won't, don't be afraid of disclosing our alcoholism and the theory it may cause financial harm. Approaching this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can let these people we can let these people know we are sorry. So you want to make amends. You don't want to owe anybody money because then you might be afraid of them, might be afraid of seeing them. And then that fear of them may keep you from staying sober because fear is, uh, blocks you from God. Does this make any sense? And you won't get, you'll get rid of shame and guilt. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. Anybody imagine that? Alcoholics slow to play. We must lose our fear of creditors, must lose our fear of people. And so you don't want to be afraid of them, no matter how far we have to go for liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. And I wrote her anyone, fear of people. It keeps, fear, fear kills us. It separates us from God. And we're afraid of them because we've harmed them and we don't want to make amends. So you see how amends are so important? Everybody agree? Yeah. And it's not hard to go up to somebody and say, I owe you money. You may not have any money, but say, can I pay you a dollar a week? It's just the idea that you want to do the best you can to repair that damage. You may have cheated somebody in a business deal or something. You might want to let them know. See how you can repair that. But you shouldn't do any of this till you've done your steps one through seven and with your sponsor You've gone through step eight and you know how you want to repair the amends. This is not something you do in your first month in AA, but something you'll need to do if you want to be free of that fear of people. 
I really believe that if anybody came through that door, I wouldn't be afraid to see them. I would, you know, if it's somebody I owe amends, I would be so excited. Give them a hug, tell them I'm sorry. And that's happened. Perhaps we have committed a criminal offense. Any criminals here? Which might land us in jail if it was known to authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person. We are sure we would be in prison or lose our job if it was known. So you don't want to go into the police station and say, you know, I, I did this and that. That's not rigorous honesty. Because then that might keep you from earning a living and taking care of your family. So you need to know how you want to make amends and how to do it properly. You need to do it with somebody else and they're giving you guidelines. So you don't want to you don't want to go to the authorities if it's going to mean you're going to lose your job and you won't be able to make uh, financial amends to your family and the people you owe money to. Maybe it's only a petty offense such as petty expense count. You know, you're stealing from your company. Well, they have plenty of money. What do they care? You know, or things like that. Uh, I don't know if you can do that anymore with computers and all this stuff. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced. Anybody divorced? Ever get divorced in AA? Maybe we're divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She is indignant about it and has a warrant out for arrest. I think there's a lot of acrimonious relationships in AA with ex-wives and husbands. Anybody believe that? In relationships, of course. And those those kind of um, dysfunctional relationships keep alcoholics drunk. So we have to learn how to forgive that person and how to make it right if we owe alimony, if we owe support. We need to know how that we can follow through, try to repair that damage. Now, you can't change the way they are. That, you can't change their feelings for you, but you can change what you've done and clean your side of the street. All of these reparations, compensations, that's what that means, to an offended person take innumerable forms. Here's the general principles for making these kind of compensations. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. Ask yourself, is that true? Because remember, you need a spiritual experience, which is a relationship with God, which can tell you, no, you don't want to drink today. No, you're not, you're, that's not a good idea, Michael. You want a spiritual experience again. When you start to judge somebody, God can say, no, bad idea, Michael. When you start to get afraid of something you're not going to get or worry, God says, Michael, no, I got that. You don't need to do that. You need a relationship with God. Are you willing to go to any lengths to do it? Now, the lengths they ask you to take is just to start on page uh, 60 and do everything in page 60 to 88. It's 28 pages. If you do that, they guarantee you'll have a relationship with God. And if you keep doing it, you'll never drink again. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing. Now, so doing the right thing in AA is not the next right thing. Have you ever heard that? I'm just going to do the next right thing. Has anybody not heard that? Well, the problem with that, if it's my next right thing, that's not what they're talking about. I want to do God's next right thing. I want to do what God's will is for me, not what Michael wants. 
So we have to be given the strength and direction to do the right thing no matter what the personal consequences may be. So we have to follow through on these things even though uh, we may not like the consequences. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we're willing. We have to be, we must not shrink of anything. And they're trying to make the point, you need to be clear of your shame and guilt. And you have to be able to be able to look the world in the eye and say, you know, I, I've done the best I can to make amends. Uh, he had to go to jail for three days because he got a drunk driving. And I said, good, right? Because it's how you're making your compensation to society. You know, you have to, you're paying the fine, you're doing the deal. And so, and you felt good when he went. He had a great time, you told me. And, uh, but you took your coins, right? He to took it. Yeah. yeah, he took his coins to the sentencing. And if we have coins, they symbolize. The one good thing about coins is they're, they're, they're me and God. So if I have a difficult situation, I carry a coin. I used to carry a coin at work, just hold it when things got real bad, you know, chaotic. Uh, now I'm retired, I don't, I don't really have that kind of stress, but maybe I should carry a coin, but I don't get too disturbed anymore. And so usually, so if you're gonna do the next right thing, make sure it's God's will. Remember step 11, it says, uh, we ask for uh, God to direct our thinking and give us the power to carry out his will. We, we want to continue to seek knowledge of his will for me and get the power to carry that out. That's all I want. I want to do God's will. If I do God's will, I feel okay. If you do God's will, you'll feel better than any drink or drug. It'll work, I guarantee you. It says, usually, however, people are involved. We have involved with amends with people. Can you imagine? You may have had problems in relationships and people. Therefore, we are not to be too hasty and foolish martyr who would nearly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. So let's say I'm married and I owe my ex-wife money. I shouldn't shrink from that, and but I shouldn't involve somebody who's not involved in it. And so let's say I work with someone and I cheated on my taxes, and they're, they're, they would be responsible too. I have to be careful before I, I tell the IRS if they're going to get uh, penalized too. And uh, we don't want to sacrifice anybody to save ourselves from the alcoholic pit. Uh, he says, a man we know had remarried because of resentment and drinking. Can you imagine? He had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to the court, and if you asked him, he would give you a very good reason why he didn't pay the alimony. I guarantee you, I've done enough of these four steps. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, was getting his head above water. It would be impressive heroics if he walked up to the judge and said, here I am, because then he wouldn't be able to feed his family, right? And he wouldn't be able to repay her. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he went to jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife. Now you can call him, you can go see him. 
admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. And also send some money. He did and he also sent a small amount of money. He told he would try to do in the future. See, that's how you deal with this. You ask forgiveness or you say you're willing to take the action to repair this. You'll pay the money. If it's children involved, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be good about taking care of my child, taking them to the ball games, doing what's necessary. There's so many w ways that this is involved. He said he would be willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course, she did not. And the whole situation has long since been revolved, adjusted. And you have to remember, I wrote here, other people have resentments toward us. It's hard to believe. But, and they may never forgive us. But that's not the point. We have to forgive them and take the action. What they do is their business. Before taking drastic action on page 80, we might implicate other people. We secure their consent. If we obtain permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help in the drastic step as indicated, we must not shrink. So uh, what we've covered tonight means you need to read this with someone. You have your list of who you're harmed when you do your resentment list in step four. And you have to think about how you harm them and how you can make amends. If you hated somebody and you owe money, telling them you're sorry you hated them but not paying them the money is not going to help. So you want to know how to repair the damage. Let's say you've been disrespectful to your <coughs> in-laws and your, your mother's, your wife's relatives. Telling them that you're sorry you hated them won't do anything. You want to act loving, patient, kind, tolerant towards them. You want to change the way you act towards them and treat them decently. See, saying you're sorry won't do anything. You have to change the way you act, change the way you react to them. Here they have this story uh, of somebody while drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incidents as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. And, and I wrote, he justified his behavior because he had selfish motives. And this is what resentment is all about. He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right did he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? So he owed money to somebody, and, but if he, if he did that amends, then the, his new partner would be in trouble as well. So after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than stand before his creator guilty. Now, are you ready to stand before God? And have you made the amends? And have you forgiven everybody? Then God will forgive you, right? And, and uh, he saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again. And that's true of everything in our life, isn't it? We have to put everything in God's hand. Well, we have to carry out the actions, his will for us. But we give the results and everything to him. 
He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met, met widespread approval and today is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. Okay. Domestic troubles. Anybody have domestic troubles in their lives? No? Heiner has it. No. no. All right. He's confused. Let's discuss domestic troubles for a while. Is that okay, guys? And this is why most people drink, because of their domestic troubles, relationships, things they've done in relationships, shame and guilt, how we've harmed people. Um, now, he says, perhaps we were mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to be av have advertised. Or maybe there were women who were mixed up with men in a fashion they wouldn't want to advertise. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fun. I was going to say a joke. Can I tell a joke? See, this is before we had aamatch.com where people went to AA to find love. You get it? Yeah. And, and this was in the old days. You know, when, you know, they didn't have that. But, so I've said to people I've worked with now, before you get into a relationship, all I ask is that you do the fourth step on your relationships and have a sound sex ideal, which we, we uh, read about it, and have that. And then try to, if you try to find someone that has a good spiritual relationship with God. You know, that's not bad advice, is it? And you can find somebody in AA. It doesn't mean you can't. But uh, I don't know, people are listening all over the world, but in AA in Topeka, we have a lot of these connections and people go through and then they get drunk. And it's a little dysfunctional here at some of the, in some of AA. We've all seen that. It's not that they're bad, it's just this is, you know, we want to try to keep that separate in these meetings. Probably people have turned it off by now. They don't want to hear me anymore. We doubt if in this respect, the alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. Because remember, we don't want to do harm to people anymore. We don't want to use people in relationships. We want to be spiritually fit, right? But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a woman gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? And I've had people who go to treatment. They've been drinking for 10 years. They've driven their spouse completely crazy. They've done horrible things. And they want to know why he's 30 days sober and she's not lovey-dovey. I said, hello. You see, it can't, it can't happen. You can't repair the damage of your past by going to treatment for 30 days. You have to figure out how you've harmed this person, how you can make amends, and you have to give them time to heal too. The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. Can you imagine that? Poor me, look what I've done, and look how she's reacting, because we want what we want, and we're impatient, and we're selfish. He commences to look around the nightclubs or the equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting f affair with the girl who understands. That's in quotes. Remember, this was written a long time ago. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about it with a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times. 
especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who is literally going through hell for him. So I think in those days, the, it was mainly men in AA, they had done a lot of bad things drunk and done a lot of bad things in their relationships and they'd harmed these people who had stood with them. And we're gonna read to wise and family afterwards in subsequent chapters. And we have to figure out how do you make amends for that? That's where you make living amends. That's where you change the way you react, change how you treat them. They see a difference. You start to treat them with respect and love and tolerance instead of expecting what you want. Whatever the situation, you usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? That's a decision if you've uh, done infidelity, if you're gonna tell your wife now. Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her, we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we've done and God willing, it should not be repeated. And this is a key statement, and it says so much. I am sorry for what I have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. And that's a great way of starting to make amends. I'm sorry for what I've done, and God willing, it will not be repeated. That's one, one worth memorizing. And it's true for everything. I'm sorry for what I've done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. It doesn't just apply to infidelity in a marriage. It's in so many ways in your life. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down any rule of a sort, we've often found this to be the best course to take. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as for the husband, and for exes too. And th this is really important. I have a design for living, and I hope they will get a design for living their lives. And then they will change the way they see me, but I can't give them, make them do a design for living. You get it? So I have to just worry about me doing my new design. Is it good for the wife as for the husband? We can forget, so can she. See, and that's one of the problems that we have is that we've had bad relationships and if we're going to AA and they're not working on themselves and changing the way they see us and looking at their resentments and their fears, then, then you may get more spiritually fit and they stay where they were. And I've, I've uh, sponsored quite a few people who the wife, no matter how many years they're sober, they keep wanting them to pay the bill. They keep reminding them of things that they've done. And I remember one guy, I uh, said to him, we only pay the bill once, and we can't make them like us or forgive us, but we, we've done what we can, and that's the best we can do. Uh, perhaps there's some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. But it's very hard. Forgiveness of things like this, jealousy, very hard. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness utmost in mind. And that's the key. If you're praying, 
you want to have their happiness utmost in your mind, not your happiness. Keep it, keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that a problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk a face-to-face -face combat. You want me to go on or stop here? Have you heard enough? Uh, I'm going to stop at the tornado. If we have no such complication, there's plenty we should do at home. No matter what it is, if you're in a relationship. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. Have you heard that? I'm sober. Why aren't they forgiving me? Look what I've done. I'm sober 60 days and they're still. Certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he does it. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents or children or people you worked with or people you went to school with whom for years he is so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today or would be perhaps be dead. They used to, they used to hang in there, women in the 30s, because they had no place to go. There weren't a lot of jobs. The country was terribly poor. We'd just come out of the Depression, and they had kids, and it was a very tough time. So I'll just read the, the tornado, and I'll pick up with it next week. So the alcoholic, everybody in this room is like a tornado. Tornadoes are not good. Roaring its way through the lives of others. That's what we were. We didn't see it. We were a tornado roaring through the lives of people we were in relationships with. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderable habits have kept the home in turmoil. We, may, we think a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He's like the farmer who came out of his cyclone cellar to find his house ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? And that's, that's what people don't see. There had been a tornado roaring through the lives of everyone. They get sober, they start coming to meetings, and they don't know why things haven't changed. Well, they haven't done this yet. Now, I'm going to pick up with the alcoholic tornado because it's one of my favorite paragraphs in the book. So we'll stop there. I hope uh, this was helpful.